We're going to start in Acts. Acts chapter 7, and uh, I'm going to start in verse 20. So, um, last week, I was going all different ways with this, with this message. It was one of those where I told Jesse, I, I, I described the message to her a couple days ago, I think Friday, as like an octopus. Like it just had way too many legs, and I needed to cut some of those legs off because I can't preach for five hours. But I like all the legs, and I couldn't figure out which ones to cut off. So hopefully I cut off the right legs. And if it's bad, you'll know he must have cut off the good ones. All right. I must have. So then next week, maybe I can use those good legs. So, all right, but here we go. Last week, we talked about like patience and the importance of patience and enduring to the end and we don't want to be impatient people none of us want to be impatient people we want to look like God and God is the God of patience we saw that last week and uh you remember if you were here I kind of ended the service by telling you that most of the reasons we get impatient right most of the time that we get impatient it's because we feel like our time is being wasted or we feel like we get impatient with other people because they're wasting our time or they're aggravating us or they're slowing us down in traffic. We get impatient with God because he's not on our timeline and things aren't happening when we thought they should. Or, or we get impatient with ourselves because we think, oh, I should have been further than I am now. Or I should have. We can get impatient when we feel like our time is being wasted. Sometimes we get impatient with God but God doesn't waste things so that's kind of what I want to talk about today and it was just it was really laid on my heart all week and um it's just the fact that God doesn't waste anything that no matter what we've been through and and if we really believe in God and and if we will step into our purpose and our calling that nothing that we've gone through in life good bad ugly like any none of it's wasted like he can take everything and use it for his glory so that's kind of what I want to talk about today and and where we're going to spend a few minutes we're going to talk about the life and story of Moses and a lot of us know that story but I want to look at some things that maybe we hadn't we haven't thought about and really if you take a step back and look at Moses's life it looks like there was a lot of like wasted time wasted moments wasted education, wasted training, all kind of wasted stuff in Moses' life. So we're going to look at Moses for a minute. And I want you to see that you haven't wasted too much time. I felt like when I was studying this that that was what I was supposed to tell somebody. And so what, here we are at the beginning, and I'm already giving you what I was supposed to tell you. For somebody in the room, you need to know that you haven't wasted too much time. There's, there's still time. There's plenty of time. Let's, let's look at Acts 7, verse 20. At that time, Moses was born. At that time. We're going to talk about what time that was in just a minute. Read the rest of the verse. And he was no ordinary child. For three months he was cared for in his father's house. 
Let's just stop right there on that first verse. At that time, Moses was born. So I guess I should have told you that. What we're about to read is the story of Moses, but it's actually the words of Stephen. And this was a sermon that Stephen preached about Moses. So now I'm preaching a message that Stephen preached about Moses. Okay, so this is Stephen's account of what happened to Moses. And Stephen, he starts out right here, he starts the story of Moses by saying, at that time Moses was born. You know what time Moses was born? A bad time. A rough time. He was born into probably the worst time you can imagine. It wasn't like it was a good thing, and once upon a time, Moses was born. No, in fact, if we look back at Exodus 1 verse 8, it tells us, Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. That's, this is the time when Moses was born. See, remember when Joseph went to Egypt and the Pharaoh loved him because he saved him from famine and then all Joseph's brothers and dad, they came in and they lived there with him and, and they intermingled and the Egyptians and the Israelites became one and they worked together and the Israelites got stronger and fruitful and multiplied and kept having kids and getting stronger and they lived in harmony together. They helped each other, the Egyptians and the Israelites. Because of Joseph and the covenant from that Pharaoh and Joseph, well, now these generations have passed. The Pharaohs died and the relationships have faded and the Israelites have gotten very strong. And this new Pharaoh, the new king, the new Pharaoh, it says he didn't even know Joseph. I don't remember him. I don't have a covenant with him. And he starts looking around saying, man, these Israelites are getting too strong. If they wanted to, they could take over. They could kill us. They could, they could move into all the pyramids, turn them into a neighborhood. All right, so he starts telling them, here's what we're going to do. Here's the plan. At first, he told the midwives that delivered all the babies, hey, when you go into one of those Hebrew women and she's having a baby, if a little girl comes out, say, great, you, congratulations, you have a young, healthy baby girl. If a boy comes out, kill it. And the midwives wouldn't do it. They were afraid. They said to Pharaoh, okay, yeah, we'll do that. And then they didn't. And so he found out, obviously, because he sees little boys running around. So he made a law and sent these men out that every Israelite boy that was born would be killed. Every one. And most of us know the, we know this story. But Moses' parents they saw that he was no ordinary child. What does that mean? They saw a call on his life. They saw some greatness inside of their little boy. They saw something special there. And they made a little basket, put him in a river. We're going to read the rest of the story in a minute. And back in Acts. But I just wanted to paint this picture and remind you that. Because we can just read, at that time Moses was born. And think, yeah, at that time he was born. In 1982, Dusty was born and whatever. But Moses was born into a bad time. Moses was born into a time where every other boy was killed. 
for years and years and years and years and years, they killed off all the boys so that they wouldn't be too strong. So Moses was the only one his age of his people. Only man. Think about that. At that time, it was a bad time to be born. Have you ever felt like you were born at a disadvantage? In your life. Hey God, why was I born into the family I was born into? Hey God, why was I born into a situation where I was going to get abused? Hey God, why was I born with this color skin? Hey God, why was I... You ever felt like maybe you were born with a disadvantage? Hey God, why was I born short? Hey God, why was I born this way, that way? I mean... God, why? Why did I have to live at the time of war? Why, why did I have them for parents? Why did I have him for a brother, her for a sister? At that time, Moses was born. A time when people in charge didn't know Joseph. They didn't know God's story. They didn't realize that that was the almighty God's people. It reminds me when it says, which knew not Joseph. He didn't even know. It It reminded me in Judges 2, Judges 2, chapter 8. Y'all remember Joshua? After Moses passed away, Joshua took over and Joshua was the leader and he was a powerful leader. And they took over all these cities and land and stuff and Joshua was one of the most powerful leaders in Israel's history. And, and look what it says right here in Judges. This is crazy. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance of to Malathurus and Mount Ephraim on the north side of the hill Gash. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. So all of Joshua's generation, they died. They passed on. And there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. This generation of kids that they had raised up, that came up under them, somehow this tragedy happened that this whole generation came up that knew not the Lord. They didn't know God. They didn't remember the mighty works that He had done. They, they knew not the Lord. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And they served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt. They forgot that they were slaves for 400 years. They were slaves and and they forgot. Well, that's crazy. I don't know how they could have forgot that. Can I remind you that we were slaves to sin? Paul tells us, And they followed other gods 
of the gods of the people that were round about them. What does that mean? They started worshiping other things. They started fitting in to the culture and the norm. They started putting other things first. Other things over God. They started worshiping all kinds of stuff. False gods. I know none of us have anything in our life that we would put above God or that we would worship or we don't have any areas where we try to fit in with everybody and everything around us. But they did. They followed other gods and the gods of the people that were round about them and they bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. See, they started fitting in with everyone around them. They started worshiping things without power. And God's people forgot the truth. See, what we just read in verse 10, there arose a generation which knew not the Lord. That word knew, it's, it was a, uh, a Hebrew word. It was translated new. Because when, I, when you read that, you think, how did they not know? Right? You're, I mean, if my grandpa, great-grandpa was coming across the wilderness and God did all these miraculous miracles and the wall of Jericho fell and all these things, like, how would I not know that? But the word new it's a Hebrew word, and it means intimate relationship out of which something is birthed. It's the same word that's used in Genesis where it says, Adam knew Eve and they begat Cain. Without getting too graphic for you, it is an intimate relationship where something is birthed out of. Okay? They knew the story but there was nothing being birthed in them can I say there was no fruit they knew the story of God they didn't know the God of the story they didn't have relationship see they knew the history I'm sure they knew the history of what happened but they were piggybacking on mama and daddy and grandpa's relationship rather than having their own relationship they didn't know the God of the story there wasn't relationship there at that time things just got out of order you know how important that was one of the legs was I was going to talk a lot about order just about the importance of order there's so many things in our life. We'll probably talk about it a lot more next week, but there's so many things in our life that are fine. They're not bad. It's not a bad thing if we just have them in the right order. If we just get first things first. And some people say, oh, I don't care about order. Order doesn't matter. But yeah, it does. Trust me. I have a bunch of examples. I'll give you one of them right now because we're not going to spend too much time on this. But say you come to a restaurant and I'm the cook and I'm back there cooking your food that you ordered right you ordered I'm back there cooking your food and now I really need to go to the bathroom there is an order in which you want this to happen I go to the bathroom I wash my hands I finish cooking your food would you agree that's the order you want it to happen in 
What if I go to the bathroom, finish cooking your food, and wash my hands? I still did it all. Right? Like, I did the exact same thing. There's nothing different. What's the difference? Who cares about order? You do if it's your food. I bet. I do if it's my food. You can do all the right things, but if you don't get them in the right order... If you don't learn to put the kingdom and put God first and do these, do these things, these first things first, it doesn't matter. It's all about relationship. This whole Christian life with God and each other. If we live in our wasted moments, what we see as wasted moments or as failure or if we stay in our brokenness we don't find healing and we don't see God in our pain then we will never walk in purpose we'll never fully walk in the purpose that he has for us we just live in our brokenness did you know God wants to heal your brokenness now, a lot of times, I've seen a lot of people do this, and this is going to sound ridiculous, but... See, we want God to fix the things that we keep breaking rather than fix our brokenness. We'd rather God just clean up our messes, use His presence as like a painkiller for a headache, God wants to fix the brokenness. God wants to go to the source and heal that thing that's causing it. But if we don't find healing, if we can't find forgiveness, then there will be all this waste because we can't fully walk in our future. We can't walk in what God has for us. Um... Have y'all ever heard of a sanatorium? Sanatorium, some of y'all have. Some of the more senior crowd has. It is an establishment or facility offering usually long-term medical care or treatment. Therapy typically involving specific regimens. For what? What kind of people? What kind of... It's for different kinds of sickness. It's for addiction. So it was used as like a rehab for people that had all kinds of addiction. It's for mental or emotional disorders. And so they had these sanatoriums set up for a wide range of people that would come there and and they would do all these different therapies and different things and exercise things and put them on a schedule and and then they would evaluate them every so often and the goal was that they could rehabilitate you and get you back to where you could be a contributing member to society and send you back out on your way and so I thought this was really interesting that they had this test that they would do in the sanatorium and it was when somebody was starting to do good and they were doing real good with the routine and seemed like they were you know, maybe, maybe he could function in the world. You know, he's doing pretty good. And maybe he's over his addiction or maybe he's 
no, conquered this mental challenge that he had or whatever it was, the reason that they were there. So this test that they would do with a lot of these guys and women was that they would take them and they would say, hey, I need your help with something. Say, okay, all right. They'd bring them to the janitor's closet and the person in charge would take a plug and put it in the mop sink and turn on the mop sink wide open. And then they would say, hey, come in here and get a mop. And it would be just overflowing out of the mop sink. And they would say, clean that up. And then they would say, I got to go take care of something and run away and leave the person there with the mop for five minutes. And when they came back, if the, mer- if the person was still standing there frantically mopping the water up and putting it in the bucket and mopping the water up, but water was still pouring over the sink, they knew they were not ready. And they took them back to their room. Or some called it a cell. They took them back to their place and said, nope, not ready. But if in that five minutes while they were gone, in the first few minutes, if they looked and turned off the water in the sink and pulled the plug out, and then started to clean up, they said, yep, they're ready. Because you solved the problem. You looked a little deeper than just cleaning up the mess. Oh, Lord, there's water running the floor. i got to clean up that mess. No, they, they had matured enough or gotten to the place in life where they realized, let's stop what's making the mess. And then, yeah, we're gonna, we can clean up messes. That's okay. I'm not against mopping. but we got to pull up the plug. So I don't want to spend all my time as a leader and a pastor, and I don't want to spend all our time together as a church and a body just mopping, cleaning up each other's messes that we keep on making. Let's turn off the sink. Let's pull the plug. What does that look like? All different things. For some of us, it might look like therapy or a counselor or accountability group or relationship or there's all different things but God wants to heal us you don't have to live broken you don't have to live holding on to anger and unforgiveness and embarrassment and the past and and all these things in fact they'll slow you down it'll hold you back so let's solve the problems instead of just trying to clean up the mess At that time, Moses was born. So let's pull the plug and live some life, even if it was a bad time. All right, let's go back to Acts and read a little bit more of Moses' story. It said, at that time, Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. Can I just say there are no, I I don't believe there are any ordinary children. Like his parents saw that in him, they believed that. But do I think that that was just because Moses was special? Like was he just glowing? No. Every child that's born, God has a plan and a purpose and there are no ordinary children. It just takes somebody being able to look at that child and see it. The giftings and the talents and the call, the the greatness that God has placed on the inside of them. 
And so Moses' parents looked at it, and it's, it's recorded and written down that he wasn't an ordinary child, but it was just somebody looked inside of him and saw the greatness that was there. Greatness that was placed inside of him. Y'all know the, uh, y'all know the little elf on a shelf? Elf on a shelf doll? Um, do you know that that was made up by a mom with two daughters that lives in Marietta, Georgia? Um, and she made up this little makeshift doll and she told her little girls the story about how the doll was watching them so they better be good and she made up that whole little story of the elf on the shelf to make her daughters act good and, and she made this little doll and her daughters grew up and became adults and they took that little idea and story and they made a little better looking doll than mom had and they made up a package and wrote a little book about it and Elf on a Shelf this fun little idea that a lot of people do took off and so it's made an average of 10 million dollars per year every year since 2005 so as of 2020, they've made about $150 million off Elf on a Shelf. The struggling mom from Marietta, Georgia. Her little idea. And somebody saw it and got smart enough to package it. Think about that. A mom with two bratty little girls I, I just assumed they were bratty because anybody that's getting that creative with ways to try to get their kid to act right, they must have been pretty bad kids. Unless that was just her. Maybe that's just your gifting or your talent is figuring out how to get kids to behave. If so, we can still get you signed up for Kids Space. We need you. <laughs> but I say they were bratty little kids, right? Because uh, the mama spent that much time trying to figure out this whole story and make a little doll just to make them act right. But anyways, a mom with two little girls had immense wealth on the inside of her. It just needed to be materialized. What things are on the inside of you? What things are on the inside of your kids or your coworkers or the people that you're around or that, that need to be called out that maybe you could help them package? Moses was no ordinary child. Why? Because somebody saw it and protected him and called it out. So it says Moses was no ordinary child. For three months he was carried. He was cared for in his father's house. When he was placed outside... Some of us are waiting on God to make us an insider. But you are supposed to bring freedom to the outsiders. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him in and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and in action. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And he was the Hebrew leader. 
it doesn't matter what you've been trained in, what skills you have, what education you have or don't have. God wants to use it to make a difference in the world. Moses went through all kind of schooling and the Egyptians back then prided themselves on being the most advanced, smartest people in the world at that time and they were the most powerful and all this. And, and Moses went through years and years of schooling and training to lead and be a warrior and, and to be all these things. And I, I thought that was really weird at the end of that verse where it says, remember this is Stephen's account, his sermon he was preaching. And he ended that verse we just read by saying that Moses was powerful in what? Speech. I seem to remember in Exodus when God called him, he said, God, I can't go to Pharaoh because I stutter. I'm slow of tongue. I have a speech impediment. So, he was powerful in speech and in action. And that got me digging and looking at word meanings and all kind of stuff like that. And, and most people agree that the daunting task that God was putting before him in Exodus, he was just afraid and he was trying to make up excuses and stuff. That word that was used right there for, for speech, some translations say in word or different things, but that word, it means the written or the spoken word. It, it's the same word that was used in John 1 to describe Jesus he was the word made flesh is that same word was used there for him and it speaks of his power his authority his what he could get across why because of all of his training there are history books that run parallel with the Bible and Josephus wrote a lot about Moses and so there there are history books that tell about how Moses, the Hebrew that was raised by Pharaoh's daughter, led the Egyptian army in a battle against the Ethiopians. And he defeated the Ethiopian king and all of the Ethiopians. And that he was so mighty and such a great warrior that they did they had all these like poisonous snakes that they released on them that would have killed all the egyptians and moses came up with a plan to defeat it and came up with some kind of animal i couldn't even figure out what kind it was that eat snakes and released them everywhere and saved all the people and the ethiopian's king daughter king's daughter thought that moses was so awesome and such a bad dude that she fell in love with him and he married her That all got left out of the Bible, but it got put in the history books. And when you read that, it gives you more of a picture of Moses. like, Because the Bible, we hear about Moses when he was in the basket, and then he got raised, and then we don't hear about him again until he shows up on the scene to like save his people at 40 years old and kills the Egyptian. But that all happened in between there. They say Moses was a very powerful man, a warrior. Even you remember when he showed up, Moses 
when he ran after killing the Egyptian and he ran away, ran across the desert, across the wilderness, and he shows up at a well. And the Bible doesn't give us a whole lot of detail on it, but it says there were shepherds, plural. There were multiple shepherds there with their herds and they were bullying the women and making them leave. And somehow Moses by himself got rid of all those shepherds. So they say Moses was powerful in speech and in action. Had authority. He knew three different languages. The Ethiopian language, the Egyptian language, the Hebrew language. God was training him and using him. And the one other thing before we read the rest of this. Moses thought he was unqualified when God came to him in the burning bush. But do you know that there was no other Hebrew that could speak to Pharaoh? It doesn't matter. God could have called any of the million Hebrews and there's not a chance in the world that he would have ever gotten an audience with Pharaoh. Forget it. Nope. He'd get killed if he tried to talk to Pharaoh. Moses was the only Hebrew that could speak to Pharaoh. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. Now, this would be a great idea. I'm going back to my roots. And he saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. So, he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. I think that's a great plan. Yeah, let's kill him. A lot of times we read Bible stories and we think, oh, the hero of the story, whatever he does, oh, that was okay, that was a good thing. This wasn't a good thing. No, that was bad. You went and, and murdered this guy. You went and killed him. Why? His example. You know who his grandpa was? Pharaoh. You know what Pharaoh did? If you did anything he didn't like, killed you. Didn't matter. Anything you disagree with him, he kills you. You do what he said not to do, he kills you. So Moses was doing what he was taught. Thought he was doing good. And I think verse, five, verse 25 is kind of funny. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them. But they did not. <laughs> you think. You ran up and murdered somebody and you thought that God would, you thought that the people would think, oh, God's using him. God sent him to rescue us, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting and he tried to reconcile them by saying, men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? Which is kind of funny considering what he did yesterday to the Egyptian. But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses, Moses aside. And he said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? 
Oh, we know what you did. When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian. That's how we know that Moses knew killing the Egyptian was wrong. Because as soon as he was found out and he knew, people knew he ran away. He took off where he settled as a foreigner and he had two sons where he settled it's a pretty sad line how many times in life do we get it wrong we make a mistake like he went to go save his people and that was the call that God had on his life he just went about it the wrong way like Stephen just told us, like he thought that the people would be like, yay, God sent our Savior. He just killed the Egyptian. And it didn't work out like he planned. He made a mistake. Now he's a murderer. He's on the run. He, he feels like the first 40 years of his life were wasted. Like, why? Like, for what? And he settled what a waste the only way to leave your past in the past is to let God give you a future what you thought was waste God wants to use as fertilizer verse 30 after 40 years had passed what he settled for 40 years there not doing what he was supposed to do not doing what he was trained to do not doing what God had for him to do he, he settled on the back side of the desert keeping somebody else's sheep they weren't even his sheep for 40 years man I hope it don't take some of y'all that long I beg you right now please don't settle for 40 years not walking in what God has for you don't go somewhere to the backside of a desert somewhere and settle and think that you've wasted time and waste more. And an angel appeared unto Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. And when he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over and over to look more closely, he heard the Lord's voice. I'm the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare look. And then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals. The place where you are standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come. He said, come on, Moses. I will send you back to Egypt. For some of you, God wants to send you back. Back to what? Back to that place that you thought was a waste. Back to that place where you messed up. Back to that place where you don't fit where you didn't belong. Moses, he didn't fit in with the Egyptians because he was a Hebrew. He didn't fit in with the Hebrews because he was an Egyptian. 
And I will send you back to Egypt. This is the same Moses whom they had rejected with the words who made you ruler and judge. Stephen wants us to know this is the same Moses. The same Moses that was born in a bad time. The same Moses that messed up. The same Moses that has now wasted 80 years of his life. He's 80 years old at this point. This is the same Moses. Like this isn't a different guy. This isn't Moses Jr. that grew up out there in the sheep pen. Stephen's like, y'all need to know, this is that same Moses. He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared unto him in the bush. And he led them out of Egypt. And he did wonders and miraculous signs in Egypt at the Red Sea. And for 40 years in the desert, this is that Moses. This is that Moses who told the Israelites, God will send you a prophet like me from your own people. This is the same Moses. And nothing was wasted. And God used him to set the people free. To establish a nation. To lead them out and to do miracles and even when he was running, God was just getting him ready. Even when he was scared, God was training him. And even when he was making dumb mistakes. Because nothing's wasted. Even if you mess up. I'll close by reading you Romans 8, 28. Romans 8, 28. Paul wrote this. And we know. Who knows? We, Christians, Jesus followers. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to His purpose. So today, I want to remind you, don't set your mind on your problems. Don't live in the past. Don't live in the wasted time and wasted moments and why this happened that way and that happened that way. And if this could have changed and that could have changed. Like, it's a waste of time. God's got something a lot bigger for you. See, all of that stuff it was just a vehicle that God used to get you here. To get you here to today. To this moment in time. It was a vehicle. And some of y'all had some real junky looking vehicles. And a lot of times in my life I can look back on and say, man, that was a pile. But it got me to where I am now. Man, that was a tough situation, man. That was a hard thing. I don't why why he did that to me? Why she do that to me? But it was all a vehicle that got me to this moment. 
And I can't stop now. We keep moving forward. All things, not some things, not good things, not bad things, not certain things. All things. They work together for good to them that love God. To them that are called according to His purpose. That's to them that obey, that we keep moving forward. We step into His purpose. We don't get stuck on our old vehicle somewhere in the past. We move forward. Purpose is always moving. Purpose doesn't have a parking spot. So if we're walking in His purpose, then we're constantly moving forward. We're not stuck in the past. We're not stuck in now. We're not stuck on what He did, she did. We No. We're walking in purpose. That's how He uses everything for our good. Well, so God ain't used everything for my good. It's probably because you're not walking in purpose. You're not chasing your purpose. That's why you can't see His hand in your pain yet. God factors in your humanity. And He works it all together. He knows you're human. He knew you were going to mess up. He knew knew you'd make mistakes. He knew you would get hurt. And He factored it all in. And he's got a plan. You're no ordinary human. What's on the inside of you was designed to change the world. Don't stop. Don't quit. Chase purpose. Hey, God. We hear you. We thank you that nothing was wasted. God, forgive us for getting frustrated about wasted moments and time and things and stuff instead of trusting you that you can work it all together for good and and chasing after you. God, we believe what you said. God, we believe that there's purpose on the inside of each one of us. And we're going after it. God, today we trust you. We worship you. Thank you that you are faithful. And that you've never let us down. God, we love you. Thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.